0: Right, well, Trinity, it's great to be with you today. If you're brand new, like Luke said earlier, I want to really welcome you to Trinity Church. My name is Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor and privileged to get to be with you today. We are continuing in a series called Parables. If you got a Trinity this week, I forgot to bring my notes up here, but if you want to get those out, they're kind of a goldenrod color. I don't know where golden rod ever existed before paper was made. I'm not really sure if it was really a color until people made that color of paper and thought, what do we name this? Goldenrod. So go ahead and get those out. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. And uh, we'll be diving in, in just a second. A couple of things. I knew you'd love Jordan and Jess. It's such a great job today. They have actually a table out over. And this is the thing. We're getting smarter. When we think about where do people want to go to be able to find something, we just put them right next to donuts. Anytime you do that. <laughs> We know you'll know where to find them. So, right over under the eaves on the side over there, you'll see some different CDs. And if you want to chat with them, uh, they'll be available after the service, like Jessica said. So, interact with them, get to know them some more. They've got a big week in front of them up at Forest Home. They flew in early to be here with us, and then they'll be up there. So, they're going to have a great week. Um, One of the things I want to keep in front of you, uh, and it's been so good this summer, I feel like people's attitudes and hearts have been great about our service time changes. But I want to, as as much as that was a change to get to a 9 and a 1045, I want to remind you we're not done. We have a 530 service starting up on August the 18th. And I just want your your mind and your heart to begin praying about, for some of you, it's not going to be a great service time for you for a host of reasons, no problem. But for others of you, it really will. And I want you to think about not only the fact of how you might make that a service and attend it, but I want you to think about how you might serve at it. Because like you can imagine, for our services at 9 and 1045, they require really an army of people between whether our productions team, our ushers, people working with our children out on the welcome area. All those roles are going to need to be replicated at, at 5.30 in the evening as well. So just be prayerfully thinking about that. We're just going to kind of going to be seeding that thought in your head the next few weeks and just ask you to consider if that would be something that God would have you be a part of. Why we're so excited, just to remind you of why we're doing this service, there are people in your relational world who either can't or won't come to church on a Sunday morning. Sunday night, takes away that reason, that excuse. And so we just want to give you the opportunity to think very missionally about the people that you can begin inviting at a brand new service time that will be just kind of a new opportunity that we've never been able to offer people. And we're real excited uh, for that as well. Well, we're going to dive in today. And and what we're doing this summer is we're looking at parables. We're looking at um, these different ways. I love the tagline. I said it last week. I love the tagline to this series, Kingdom Secrets... Veiled in plain sight. They're just right there. But as, God, as Jesus begins to open them up and help us understand what these things really are, as earthbound people that really don't have a perspective, don't have the capacity to understand the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, he's using things that we do understand, Last week we talked about a lost sheep. People can relate to that. Those of us who are not agrarian and don't raise sheep can understand what is Jesus talking about today. Today we're looking at a really well-known parable, the parable of the sower and the seed. And in like way, whether you have a little garden on the side of your house or you just love the produce that you get at the market, either way you get the concept that when seed is sown, that's what ultimately becomes the fruit, the produce that you get to enjoy later on. So Jesus is using very uh, things that people can relate to, they're aware of, can connect to, and he's opening their minds to say, but this idea represents so much more than just that simple thing that, that you do get. Let me share with you the bigger idea. And so today as we dive in and look at this, this is fascinating to me, Jesus's audience We're readily aware that farmers go out and throw seed and based on the types of soil, good things come or they don't. So it wasn't anything new to them as far as some deep truth at the surface. It would be later on. It would be fascinating when Jesus goes on to to explain the parable, and he talks about the different types of soils and what they represent, and we'll be able to look into that a little bit today. Today, what I want you to do, though, is we dive in. I want you to kind of sit in the tension that this parable creates. And it creates this wonderful both and tension. If you begin to think sometimes that life is all about only who God is and what he does, which is a good thing to think about, but if we forget that there is the necessary human response to who God is and what he's revealed, then we'll kind of get askew. Conversely, if we think it the other way, that it's really all about how we respond to the things in our lives, and oh yeah, God's in the mix too, we'll also get askew, but there's something about living in the tension of both and. It is absolutely significant and essential that the sower sow his seed. But what's also true is that the type of soil that is in your life is something that's receptive to it. So we're going to live in that today, and I want to walk us through that a little bit. And I want you to be careful not to drift too far to one extreme or the other, but live in the reality that both are essential for good things to be produced in and through your life. Both things are essential for good things to be produced in and through the lives of the people in your relational world. We'll talk about that a little bit today as well, that dynamic of what this means for them. So take a look in your notes and on the screen is a now what statement for today. Thank God that his word is so productive and keep the soil of your heart responsive. Two, two big things to walk away with this week. Let's dive in in your notes. Number one fruitfulness comes from the intersection of God's seed and good soil. Fruitfulness comes from the intersection of God's seed. And good soil. We're in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm actually going to read the entire parable and the sequence after it to set the stage for where we're going today. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So get that idea in your mind that the crowds are pressing in on Jesus so much, they're actually pushing him towards the water, where at some point it's like, I'm either going to be out to my waist or my neck, or I could get in a boat and let them continue to crowd the shoreline. And that's what's happening. So Jesus gets in the boat, teaches them from the boat. People are all over the shore. Imagine even young children maybe wading into the water. It's a little bit cooler to listen to Jesus. Verse 2 He taught them many things in parables and in his teaching said, "Listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain." Still other seed fell on good soil it came up grew and produced a crop some multiplying 30 some 60 some a hundred times then Jesus said whoever has ears to hear let them hear and i want you to catch that today he's making an invitation if you're paying attention if you're listening to what i'm saying here's an invitation to find more Verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him, they did exactly that. They asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Okay, so a long passage. This is twenty verses in a row out of Matthew or Mark four, kind of giving us not only the context but really the whole story. Jesus is going to change topics in just a moment after what we've read. But what I want to do, let me actually uh, let me tell you where we're going today. I really want to, I want to address that tension of the, of the power and the working of God through specifically the powerful word of God that you hold in your hands today or on your phone or whatever way you have the Bible. And I want you to live in that tension as well. What is our responsibility with the kind of soil of our lives? I want to get to that. So I want to do an overview of, this, of the parable quickly and then I want to spend some time on those two realities. So let's look at a few things. First, notice the context of the crowd's that are gathering around Jesus. Last week, we talked about the parable of the lost sheep, and we saw how incredibly important the context was for that parable, where almost maybe Jesus noting the context of the despised, the tax collectors and the sinners, who also were around the grumbling of the religious elite, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, Jesus probably shapes the parable to meet the crowd meaning he knows his audience so well, and in doing so, he speaks something that both of them need to understand. Today is no different, but the crowd is very different. We don't read of any religious elite, and and by at least name, we don't read of any that were despised in the culture, we just read of a mob. There was a crowd of people around them. So this context, really what we're gonna see develop, is who are Jesus' true disciples, and who are simply the curious But those who are not interested in being followers, they're just curious but not responsive. So the context, I believe, is the same thing. It wasn't as though it just kind of willy-nilly was this group of people. I think Jesus, noting the kind of people he was talking to, which any good communicator, and we said Jesus is the master of everything he did, especially in communication. So Jesus, noting the crowd, shapes a parable that connects the dots to where these people are, and that's what he does. Not just those who are gonna be Jesus's true followers where there will be a productiveness out of their life, but also those who are just simply looky-loose. I'm curious, I'm interested, but I'm not gonna respond just like the different types of soils. Second, pay attention to the parable of the basic realities of what Jesus's audience would have already understood. Number one, farmers sow seed. Yep, that's what they do. Two, seed lands on different types of soil, and within that, it, based on uh, the kind of the soil, it's either productive or unproductive, and it can be unproductive for things like birds coming away, or there being rocky soil, or there being uh, weeds and thistles. All those things made sense to Jesus' listeners, and the, the, producing, uh, the purpose of the reason why a farmer sows seed is not just to have plants but to produce a crop. That's gonna be a big idea in what we're looking at today. So these are things that Jesus' audience would have had a a real keen understanding of. Most of us, whether we've done anything with gardening or planting or any kind of farming, would totally get this as well. And that brings us to our next point, That's all that Jesus shares with the crowd. I want you to get into this story. Jesus is out in the boat. He's speaking, maybe sitting down, maybe standing up. The crowd has pushed in so far, they're all the way on the water's edge. They're leaning in, and Jesus tells them a story about things they already know. I wonder if some in the crowd, when Jesus got done with the first part, remember, we just read these verses in tow, but there was a part where it said, later on, so there's a gap in time. Imagine he gets done telling this parable of the sower and the seed, and the people in the crowd go, and? Others, like if a movie is ended on a note you totally don't understand, you go, what? And those who were really kind of punks said, oh, great rabbi, thank you for this wonderful story of sower, seed, and plants. Duh. Like, they, they must have done that, they must have been scratching their heads like, This is what everyone's coming out to see? This is basic. This isn't, what is really going on here? And I'm sure people left with that response. But watch this. Note the response of Jesus' disciples. When he was alone, so I mean, imagine the crowds. They have been incredibly patient. They've all dispersed by now. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Remember Jesus' last words about that parable. For those who have an ear to hear, let them hear. Jesus is giving an invitation, if you want to know more about this, come and talk to me afterwards. Interestingly enough, the crowds don't care, they are all kinds of in different types of attitudes, but it's this group who does care and they pursue Jesus. I think they might have said something like this, Jesus, that was a great story about farming, but I'm thinking there's more to it. I'm thinking there's something else you wanted to tell us than a farming axiom, could we hear more? They demonstrate great interest in both their waiting to wait till the crowds leave, as well as their intentionality to seek what Jesus still hasn't yet revealed. This is powerful. I want you to know that. I want you to know that within the heart of people who follow Jesus, I really do believe there is this hunger and this thirst to want to know. And knowing's not the whole equation, but it's surely a part of it. I want to understand, I don't get it, what was just shared about simple things about farming, there must be something more, help me understand. Fifth, I want you to see that Jesus expected the crowds to be merely curious. You see, it's almost as though he is kind of, I'm not being punny, he's weeding out the crowds to let them go so that now he can talk to the people who really want to know. He quotes Isaiah chapter six. This is when Yahweh commissioned the prophet. This is that powerful chapter that you know. Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And this powerful thing, the temple is shaking, smoke, fire, everything going on. Isaiah believes he's going to die because he's in the presence of all holy God. And yet at the end, after his sin is atoned, at the end, Yahweh says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. God says, sure, I'm going to send you, but let me tell you about the people I'm sending you to. And that's these words. They're going to be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. So as it was for Isaiah's audience, so it would be for Jesus' audience. A curious crowd who was only interested to a point, and then when things got difficult, when things required an extra sense of pursuit, They backed away. Ultimately, remember, it would be the crowds who were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Think about the fickleness of those hearts and what we would ultimately see. Note that Jesus directed his audience twice in these first nine verses to listen or to hear. Like, those are imperative commands. Pay attention to what I'm saying. And if (coughs) if you would have been in the crowd that day, And you hear this simplistic story about farming, and you're scratching your head saying, what else? Then it would make sense that you would say, I need to get some time with that guy afterwards, because we all get that, but there must be something more to that story. You see, the curious crowds, the kind of popular thing to do was to come out and hear this country rabbi. The curious crowds wanted no more than just curiosity. It was the true followers of Jesus who pursued him and said, what is that all about? I also don't want you to get thrown by the last line of Jesus' quotation of Isaiah 6. It said, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven, meaning they're seeing but not perceiving. They're hearing but they're not really getting it. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Don't interpret that as Jesus' lack of interest or even hostility against their salvation. Remember, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came for the mission of saving people. It's just this. He was not opposed to their salvation. Instead, he was simply aware of the crowd's tendencies. And crowds do what crowds do. They're merely curious for a season. When things get difficult, when things require extra effort, they back away. And Jesus was simply aware of their response was going to be a lack thereof. Finally, I want you to appreciate the master teacher and how much truth is represented in this farming illustration. Today, we're not going to have time to go to the depth I would like to, but we could devote an entire teaching series just to the four types of soils and what those things represent. For our purposes today, I just want you to note the profound simplicity. The profound simplicity presented in the condition of the soils, and recognize how true those hindrances are, how they've been in your life, and how true they are in the lives of people that you do life with. Last week, as we talked about this lost sheep, I encourage you to consider the ones the ones in your life that God has said, hey, there is this group of people who've come to love me and follow me, and that's awesome, but there are still ones in the world that I am going after, and the great news is is he's going after people in your world, and you get to be a partner within that by your prayer, by your investment, by the way that you care for people, by the way that you invite them. Those are all things that you get to play a part in that reality So look back at these different soils, the hardness, this type of soil has zero interest, zero receptivity to God's word. And even what is there, even what gets kind of dropped into their life is quickly stolen away by the adversary, by Satan himself. There's a rockiness that shows a brief sign of life. And I want you to catch this. Of the four soils, three of them produce a plant. I don't want that to be confusing to you. Three of these four soils produce some sort of response, some sort of plant that that erupts through the ground. The seed does something to connect a dot. But when it comes to the rocky soil, the idea, and it said it really clear, Jesus doubles back on it, it evidences itself when struggles and trials and challenges. When those things come as a result, It said clearly, as a result of the word. So meaning what it costs to follow Jesus, what it costs to be someone who would say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my claim on my life to allow your rightful claim to take root. I want you to be in charge. That's what it means when I call him master and Lord, as well as when I call him savior. So as a result of that, trials and challenges come. They just say, you know what? Too much, I'm out. And the young plant withers up and dies because there's no way for it to grow. Another type of soil is the weediness that may actually show a sign of life but is quickly choked out and made unfruitful. And I love Jess's song today. As we listen to this song about idols, she captured it so well. The fickleness of my heart, the things that people, as I maybe hear this truth of God's word, I'm drawn to it, but all of a sudden there's a shiny thing over here. All of a sudden there's a commitment over there. All of a sudden there are things that are drawing me away from the central thing I need the most. And as a result I miss it. As a result looking at the parable with those distractions there becomes no fruitfulness. It even says as though it says it doesn't produce any grain. Imagine something even growing to the point of a stalk that's about to bear grain but nothing happens because of the weediness of the soil around it. Finally, there's mention of a good soil and one that's demonstrated as such because it not only hears the word and accepts it, by the way, the last two soils, Jesus said the same thing about. They heard the word and accepted it, but what's the striking difference? It goes on to respond with a productivity of fruitfulness. It's the only soil of the four that are described that goes on to do what a farmer intended soil to do. That's in your notes. A farmer sows seed in order to produce a crop Not just to see plants take root, but for them to be fruitful. For fruit to hang off the branches. I love, I start most of my mornings with a bowl full of cereal and berries on top. And I love, I feel like a king every day. Who gets to start the day like that? I just love it. I just rinse these berries off. I put them all over my cereal, and I just enjoy them. And I sit there, and I go, man, God, I am so grateful to have that kind of just start to my day, that fruitfulness, literal fruitfulness that I get to enjoy. And it's the reality of what has happened, not just in the seed and the soil, but ultimately in the plant and in the production of that berry. I'll tell you, I would not nearly be as excited about raspberry bushes I don't care to look at those. I just want to see those beautiful red berries hanging off the edge, and then I want them in my mouth, okay? I don't know about you. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever done anything with gardening. Have you ever done that? Okay, good. A lot of us. So growing up, I've told you I grew up up the road in Yukaipa and we grew up on about an acre of ground. Um, I don't know, a, a sliver of it we devoted to some kind of a garden in my childhood, my mom loved to raise like, things like zucchini and tomatoes were things I remember readily, S- unique kinds of squashes, stuff like that. Strawberries, I think, uh, at times, but mostly those. And, and when I think about the fruitfulness of our garden, it was really great to have fresh zucchini on an evening when diced up with tomatoes and onions, and my mom cooked with more butter than any human ever should have, so just l- ladled in butter. It was Beautiful. So I remember that well. And I even remember that when we would have a surplus, because remember, these plants, they don't produce at the time. It's just like I need one for tonight. They're all in bloom or they're all in productivity at the same time. So we would have um, our bumper crop was we have four zucchini we can't use. So here's what we did. This is taking you back, okay, early 80s. My brother and I literally in our little red wagon would walk around our neighborhood and walk up to people's doors, knock, knock, knock. Hey, by the way, we had some extra stuff. Wondered if you'd like to buy some. We are young entrepreneurs. I think my parents gave us most or all of what we received from our sales. And, and that was my life related to farming, okay, growing up. Now, I want you to capture that and think of the way that you might have a garden now and, and have done things in the past. It is one thing to have a garden that supplements what you put on your table. It's one thing to have a garden that provides a little bit of spending money on the side from what you have left over. It is an entirely different ordeal when your livelihood comes from what's on those bushes. And if you've never lived that kind of life as a farmer, you and I probably have a disconnect at this point in the story because I will guarantee you That's what farmers live for. Not just a plant, not just something poking through the soil. Even though that's a necessary part to the story, they're all about what hangs off the branches because that's the livelihood that goes on my plate. That's the livelihood that goes to the bank. Until you've lived that kind of way, you really don't understand how incredibly significant fruitfulness is. That's what a farmer was after. So now we've given a bit of an overview of the parable, and and I want you to see this. I really believe that this parable is primarily about people's response to the gospel, how they respond as Jesus sows the seed of this great news. We sang about it today. I love that line from before the throne of God, the just is satisfied to look on him, yet pardon me, just powerful that God would do such a thing. I really believe this parable is primarily about that, but I was thinking this week, this parable also has deep truth for the things that you have and you and I consistently fail to receive or what we do receive from the word of God. Think about it this way. Let me walk through some scenarios with you. There may be some topics or issues that you simply don't want to allow God to speak authoritatively about in your life. It might be how you view politics, it might be how, you, be how you view sexuality. It might be how you view stewardship. Name it. There are some things where you would say, I know the Bible has something to say about X. I'm just not interested. That is the hardness of a soil that the minute that that word of God gets there, it's quickly taken away. You might be a believer already. I'm not doubting that for a moment. But I was thinking about the the effectiveness of the word of God in our lives. That truth is there. It's not mistruth. It's not someone teaching the Bible inaccurately or you reading a commentary that's inaccurate. It's true. You just don't have any place for it. And neither do I at times. There may be truths from the Bible that you receive well initially, but because they demand a a degree of surrender and sacrifice... You don't respond to that particular seed at the season, and therefore it doesn't bear fruit in your life. There's something that God brings to you through a conversation with someone, through the preaching of the word, through something you're reading, through something you hear on the radio, fill in the blank, but as a result, it's it's, it's interesting, but when you realize this is going to cost me something if I'm actually going to do something with it, you set it aside. There may be some truths from scripture that you are ready to receive and you initially respond to, but then you become quickly distracted by other commitments or new opportunities or the lure of comfort, and therefore it doesn't take root in your life. And as a result, the word of God is there. It just never gets to be productive in you. And then there are times when the truth from God's word is something that you respond to and it does produce change. It does produce growth. It does produce fruit in your life that is both evident to all, and watch this, pleasing to the farmer. And the interesting thing is, I would say, as I look through those scenarios, I think there are issues in my life that have been in all four of those types of soils until they finally, I say, yes, Lord. So I think this is a powerful parable to process through that lens and even evaluate in your own heart, God, where are the places... That I'm either completely resistant to what you have, or I'm initially responsive, but man, it's too hard, or I'm too distracted, until finally there's a season in my life I'm ready to say, Jesus, yes, I respond to what you have been saying for so long. And my prayer is that for you and me, we would have more seasons of that kind of good soil where the word of God is something that produces fruit quickly. Let's go on. I want to talk more about this tension today. Number two in your notes. God's word is powerful and purposeful. I want to talk about the strength of the seed, the, the efficientness, the, the power of the seed that God sows into our lives. God's word is powerful and purposeful. Uh, look at the screens. You've heard these words from Isaiah 55 before, but I don't think you and I knew the context. Watch this, this is great. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish. Watch this. So that it yields seed for sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Those are the words you and I know. It was always in the context of the power of what God does in the elements to produce food and grain for us. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and will lead, achieve the purpose for why I sent it. I love this, pa- this verse because it, these, this passage is so powerful. It's so on point related to the idea that God's word goes out with intent, with purpose, but it also goes out in power and strength, and it is going to accomplish the purpose of why it goes. But the powerful thing is that I was reading, it's in the context of a sower and seed, And where that seed is ultimately demonstrated is in bread that's eaten, warm, home-baked bread, butter all over it with just the right amount of boysenberry jam. And I'm so sorry I made you so hungry already. Some of you are going from this place to eat. I still have to wait a while, so I was hurting myself more than you. But that's the context of what Isaiah 55 is all about by way of illustration. And then these words you have heard and you appreciate so much, my word does not return to me empty. It is purposeful and it is powerful. Look back at the parable today. We can often focus only on the condition of the soils and miss the agent That is needed for the crop to even be produced at the beginning. I think I fail with that. Often I have read this parable and I focus so much on the condition of the soils, I forget about the incredible strength and power of the seed. Later on, actually just further in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is going to tell a parable that isn't repeated in any of the other gospels. And it's this idea, it says the farmer goes out and he sows seed. He goes to bed, he wakes up and over time it grows. Kind of talking about how the farmer's not working so hard to develop growth and change. He did some things necessary at the beginning. He doesn't even understand how the seed does what it does, but ultimately produces a crop he puts on his table. The power of the seed. What's wild is that not only God gives us his word, but then he tells us how powerful his word is in his word. Listen to some of these narratives that you might be familiar with. In the book of Exodus, Yahweh invites Moses up on top of a mountain, and he gives him this is a a redeemed group of slaves that are out in the middle of the desert early in their journey. He gives them his very word of how they were to act, both vertically towards him and horizontally towards each other. He gives them the law personally. Deuteronomy chapter 4, that first generation dies in the desert. Moses is on the banks of the Jordan, ready to go into the land. He doesn't know he's not going in. Actually, he does know that. It's going to be next that uh, his apprentice Joshua is going to lead the people. But his final speech, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, what other people can say that their God has given them a law like this that has helped them know how to thrive and live towards him and towards each other. Who has done anything like your God? Are Moses' words. Psalm 119, that's the longest chapter in the Bible, it's like a love poem related to the power and the value and the use of the word of God. The nation of Judah had so neglected God's word Over time, that King Josiah, the boy king, if you can even imagine this, Judah, the the southern kingdom, had drifted so far away from God that it's people going through the, the storage closets of the temple who pull out some scroll and go, hey, look what we found. It's the law that God gave Moses on the mountain. They had so disregarded it, they didn't even have a copy that they were using. They found it like treasured gold, and then Josiah orders these sequence of reforms based on what the word of God said, how they should live as his people. Powerful, purposeful. When the exiles are brought back to Jerusalem, the nation of Judah further disobeys God. They're finally brought back. And as they're brought back and as they're assembling as a people, it's Ezra, the priest, who stands before them and he reads the law. This was powerful. This is a group of people who'd been exiled into Babylon for 70 years. They finally come back. He's reading them the law. They are weeping because they are so far away from God and how they have lived. And yet Ezra says, today is the day where we get to start again. This God I'm reading about is a forgiving God, a merciful God, Let's return, let's repent and return to him today. And weeping turns into joy. Over and over and again, Jesus cites the fulfillment of the word of God in his life and ministry. And he keeps telling people what God had foretold, I am now living out. I am now fulfilling. Jesus uttered the very words of God. We are praying today in our uh, green room time before we came out as a production team. And one thing that we prayed about was just this reality. There are people today, that's what makes today so powerful for us. There are people today who have no access to the word of God. Literally no access, not written in their language. They have no way to know what you readily can look at any time of any day. That's not to make you feel bad. What's that to say is there is still such a need for Bible translation. Still such a need for the word of God to get into people's hands. And what we are reading today, we believe very much to be the very words of God spoken through the son of God, ultimately to make free the people of God. It's a powerful thing when you stop and consider that. The word of God and the witnesses of Jesus were combined with the incredible awakening of the Holy Spirit that made the early church blow up, grow in evangelism like nothing else. And the church began to take off at record pace. Paul wrote about the ways that God's word is useful in our lives for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And he said that if we will use it as it was intended to be given powerful things will happen in our lives because we submit ourselves to what God has given us. The author of Hebrews, he wrote that God's word is living and active, stronger than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through you in even ways you don't understand about yourself. But it reveals, it's like a mirror revealing you to yourself as well as helping you know what needs to happen, what needs to change. You see, over the course of the next few months, what we're going to be doing at Trinity Church is rolling out core values. Our staff team has been working on them really diligently. Uh, For weeks on end, we would devote an hour and a half plus of our Tuesday morning staff meetings to trying to get the right wording, try to get the right understanding for how we want to represent what we believe to be the core values that we want to put forth. In your notes today, here's one of those seven It says the Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be an authority in your life. We absolutely believe that and we want people, if they're gonna know anything about Trinity Church, if they wanna know about our mission to be a people rooted in Jesus reaching our worlds, if they wanna know our core values, they can see them quickly and here's one of those and I said seven, there's actually six. Here's one of the six. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and intended to be an authority in your life. We believe that. We believe that strongly. I want you to do a thing for me this morning. I want you to take a moment and reflect. I want you to think about the times when the word of God has been so powerful and so purposeful in your life. I want you to think about the times when you were absolutely Devastated by some sort of a loss or some sort of incredible valley you were walking through, and you found the word of God to bring you so much encouragement and comfort. Far beyond the the people who had assembled around you who were really trying to care and love for you, the word of God met something in you like no one else could. I want you to think about the times in your life when you were confused, trying to figure out which way was up. I don't, God, I can't understand what's going on in my life. I can't understand why things are the way they are. I don't know if anyone's in control. And then you came in contact with the word of God. And God's word gave you a clarity that you were so incredibly hungry for. I want you to think back to a time when you were spiraling out of control. It wasn't that outside factors were forcing on you. It was you. Your soul was cavernous. Your soul was completely a wreck. And you were spiraling out of control and it was some way that the word of God came in contact with you and you your life. Whether a friend who shared it, something that you read somewhere, something that just kind of came across seemingly randomly that helped you not only understand what on earth is happening, how off am I in this season, but then also helped you grasp this is where change begins. And this is what it looks like to live in a way pleasing to God. This is the power that the word of God has had in your life. i want to bring you back to that reminder today because that's what's so impressive. Where would you be without the life-giving, life-transforming work and truth revealed by God in the Bible that you're holding in your hand? Man, it's a scary thing to stop and think about, but here's the wild thing. Some of the ones in your life That's exactly what their dilemma is. They either don't have access to or don't care to have the truth of God in front of them, and that's why there is a wake of devastation in their life. You see it. You understand it. But the point is it's simply because there's no greater truth. There's nothing above them and what they can figure out, just like would have been your state and your problem aside from the powerful word of God that he gave you. Look in your notes. Note that, the, in, in, that this farmer, in Jesus' parable, he was not conservative with his sowing of the seed. He threw it in places that weren't ready for it, leaving the results with the soil, not the absence of seed. I think that very powerful, it doesn't say that the sower only went to the places where he knew there was good soil. He threw it everywhere. He threw it in places that he knew it wouldn't be productive, but the issue wasn't gonna be about that there was a lack or an absence of seed. The issue would be about the soil isn't ready to receive it. Here's the thing for you and I, the ones in our world, and you have to hear me say this through the lens that makes sense in the way that you relate to the people in your world. Some of you, the way that God has wired you, you can bring truth in lots of different circumstances and people, because of the relationship and the equity, people can hear it. Others of you are just beginning to build bridges of equity into people's lives. And I would just say, in whatever format it's available, whether it's let me show you this from God's word or let me tell you something like the word of God says, either way, it's not up to you to say their heart isn't ready for it. That's very convicting to me. I'm often thinking in my mind, I could share this truth with a friend of mine who's not yet ready to respond, is not a believer But they're not ready, so it's okay. I often can just do those mental gymnastics in my head rather than being able to say, I know you're going through a tough time. Can I just tell you something that would help me if I were in your shoes? I know that you're in a place that's very confused because of the circumstances you're facing or the decisions that you're making. Could I just share something that I think could be helpful? That's all it is. That's you sowing seed into lives whether the soil is ready or not. It's not going to be about the fact that there's an absence of seed. It's simply going to be about that the soil isn't ready. That's not on you, but sowing the seed is. Finally today, number three, a good soil involves your whole self receiving and responding. Good soil, let's describe what it, the Bible teaches it's like. It involves your whole self receiving and responding. Look on the screens, James one twenty two, a passage that you know. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at, at, his mirror, at, at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's a powerful passage that is very familiar and should be. And we've looked at this passage ourselves in the last couple of years, but note the intent, the purpose of the Word of God is supposed to do in our lives. It's supposed to bring change. It's supposed to be received and responded to, not simply, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I didn't know that before. Oh, that'd be really helpful if Bob was here today. No, it's not those things. God, what is your Word saying to me, and what should I do as a result? It's not simply information to ingest on a Sunday morning, nor for in your small group discussion to have a better grasp of it. It's something meant to be put into use to be applied and engaged with the result of producing change from the inside out. I will tell you over the course of my ministry, I've been at this for almost 27 years, and I have met a lot of people who have great Bible literacy, but little Bible consistency in terms of how they live and how they present themselves. This week, I had a gentleman call me who I could tell from the very beginning of the conversation wanted to go at it about the essence of the Trinity. And I remember he would, I think he would say in the conversation, if I caught it right, that he would say he's a believer and wanted to kind of just keep poking and prodding. When I asked questions back, the conversation ended with him yelling hysterically as I hung up the phone. Simple point. There might be a lot of Bible literacy, but a real lack of Bible consistency because the Bible is more than a set of facts, more than information that you know. It is meant to change your heart. It is meant to help you live the life that Jesus came and modeled for us, not because you just simply try harder, but also because of the indwelling of God's spirit in you. Look at this powerful passage. I might say in in a negative uh, since. Actually, let me say something before that. I don't want to get it out of sequence. Let me say something before that about the response. Look in your notes. I love the way this commentator said it, what receptivity looks like. He said, words may be sound and lively enough, but it is up to each hearer to let them sink in and become fruitful. If he only hears without responding, without doing something about it and committing himself to their meaning... Then the words are in danger of being lost or of never coming to anything. The whole story thus becomes a parable, and this is about today's parable we're looking at, about the learner's responsibility and about the importance of learning with one's whole will and obedience, not merely with one's head. As powerful words, well said. And this parable infers that there is a responsibility for you to keep the soil of your heart in a state that it can receive and can respond to God's word. In your notes, there is an active role for you to embrace that comes from this parable concerning the need to have a posture that is teachable and understands God's word to be authoritative, not merely suggestive. God's word gets to tell me how to live. And man, that is a cultural Just no, no in our world today. No one tells me how to live. How could a book do that? We would say, thank you God for the book that does help us do that so we can live according to his way. I mentioned a minute ago, I don't want you to miss though today, this is not a message of just try harder, make the soil of your heart better. This is a message that also reminds us of the indwelling spirit in our life that brings change. Look at this verse to the negative of what it's like without the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. that doesn't mean that the people in your relational world can't read your English Bible and understand what the words mean. They can but there's a whole different reality to what do they mean in my life? What should be done with them? What should produce change? That's a whole different conversation. So let's back that up again. The people in your life who currently don't have or, or you know, aren't interested in the word of God also are probably representing soils like we looked at today today. Soils that are not churned up by the Spirit of God, soils that are not fertile, so they can receive and respond, and therefore, as a result, the Word of God is landing on hard soil, or soil that's very quick to respond, but no root, no real growth. And let me just remind you of this as we close today. You and I cannot control the soil in someone else's life. What we can do is pray hard. Pray hard. Because I believe God has this powerful effect in bringing change of awakening the dead, the spiritually dead to become alive. So we can definitely do that. But what we can also do is we can say, God, as I'm praying for, as I'm continuing to liberally throw seed into the lives of the people I do life with, I'm also gonna be mindful to take care of my own heart, to pay attention to my own receptivity and responsiveness to your word that you bring into my life all the time. That's the posture I'd want you to walk out today living in that tension of the both hand. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for its value and its power in our lives. We thank you for where we're at today and so many of us could relate to various seasons when we have indeed been receptive, been responsive, to what you wanted to say and how you wanted to say it. God, I pray that those seasons would just simply be more and more, that we would live with soil that's tilled up, soil that is ready to hear and respond to, not just be people who hear the word, but do it. God, give us, let that be a trait, let that be a quality of Trinity Church, that we are not just merely hearers of the word, but doers also. You may be here today and you may have heard about the truth of what Jesus has done for you, his accomplished work. We call it the gospel, the good news, but you never responded to it. And so I want to encourage you today, just like we've talked about with this parable, of the soils, evaluate the the, uh, condition of your heart. And in the past, maybe you've been incredibly just irresponsive hard-hearted. Maybe today and other times you've had an, an interest, but realize that it, it, you just kind of haven't followed through. It's been too hard, or you've just become too distracted. Today is the day. Today is the day where you would be able to say, Jesus, I recognize what you have done for me, and I want to respond with a heart that's willing to receive it and respond bearing fruit. You can do that by, A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, B, believing that Jesus is the only Savior available. And C, choosing. Choosing to say, Jesus, I put my full weight, my trust in what you've accomplished, not what I can do to be good enough. And as a result, I believe that what you did by your death, burial, and resurrection, you covered me. That God, the just is satisfied to look upon Jesus and yet pardon me. You can pray that kind of prayer today right where you sit the Bible says, like we said last week, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. So we pray that you'd make that step today. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are, your patience and kindness towards us. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Now today as we finish, Jordan and Jess are going to lead us in one more song, but it's an opportunity for us to give in response to what God's been doing in our lives. Giving is an obedience issue. It's not something that the church is not doing well financially. Would you please help? It's none of that. It's all about you saying, God, I'm putting you first and prioritizing all of my life, not just some of it, according to your design. So at this time, we're going to receive the offering. Afterwards, you are welcome to stand as we finish singing the song today. At the end of our service, we're going to have some people available to pray with you. If you just like someone to take that burden off your shoulders. They'll be here and they'd love to pray. Let's continue as we worship.